Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football is marching towards the playoffs, and we're down to the college championship game. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the sports action this January. Head to our website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2022 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It. Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is January 5th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count. 823 episodes into Take It Easy here, and we've got another fantabulous one coming at you today. I don't have much to introduce this one. It's Gage Bridge for joining us. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter with the link in the description to this episode. Uh, don't have an A block. Don't have anything to add before. We have a fantastic conversation today. It's football, but it's not the week 18 football conversation that everywhere and anywhere is having. And that makes me feel a whole lot better. So with that being said, let's welcome Gage Bridgeford back to the Take It Easy podcast. Like part of the way, part of the way through life. Um, you, you know, something I was thinking about when we were coming on here was, you know, I think it was back in week three or week four, we did a podcast about the 49ers and trying to figure out what they were doing. And I was kind of upset that Trey Lance wasn't starting from the get-go. And I still was kind of, in that camp the whole way, but Jimmy G started playing better. So we didn't really get to, to get, didn't articulate it as much, but the fact that we now have winner go home game and Trey Lance is going to play feels like, it, like not by Trey Lance's in by choice, but by Jimmy G injury just felt absolutely perfect. Given we had like 30 minutes back and forth on Jimmy G versus Trey Lance and developing a rookie, you gave up three first rounders for and yeah, so, it's, it's it's of course that's just the way the poetic justice would work out all year long or all off season. It was hey, just start Trey Lance. Jimmy's not the future guy. Trey's your guy. Trey's your future guy. That's why you trade all those picks for him. And then he's like, no, I'm not doing that. And then Trey didn't start to start the year. And Jimmy wasn't playing great. And you're like, come on, you got to start Trey. He's your future. And then when they were really struggling, weren't winning well, they were like, okay, now's the time. And he still wasn't doing it. And they started winning. And then now it all comes down to a win in your end game with Trey Lance against the Rams. 
and you're just and then everyone that's a Niners fan is kind of like, man, I really wish we had Jimmy right now. And it's like, okay, you're not allowed to have Jimmy. It's like you you've had him all year and you didn't want him. And now that you don't have him, you can't you can't pick and choose. Granted, I well, I, I personally still think Trey Lance is a I think Trey Lance is a equal player in terms of the what he can bring like level wise. Like I think that Jimmy's a more consistent player, but I think Trey's ability to to run the ball elevates his inconsistencies in the passing game to the point that I think that they're pretty much like equal players. Uh, and we had this conversation, which is like the 49er, the argument between, and I was kind of upset it was framed this way, but the argument between Jimmy G and Trey Lance was framed as you either sacrifice wins to develop the quarterback or you try and win now and push the development down the road for Trey Lance. And I never felt those things had to be mutually exclusive. Like if Lance is the guy they think he is, they can win games and develop the quarterback or at the very least find out quicker whether Lance is going to be the guy or not. And it ends up happening such a way that, yeah, he didn't start 17 games, but he still started what, like this is going to be his fourth start or third start and it's a winner go home game. So I guess, somewhat of a victory for people like me who thought Trey Lance should have started the whole season. Yeah, but it, it's somewhat of a victory, but at the end of the day, that's when you have Cal Shanahan as your coach, who he is the most stubborn. He's one of the most stubborn, like modern coaches I've ever seen. Uh, like everyone praises him as the, this modern guy. And he's got the, Oh, the Kyle Shanahan tree with your, your Matt LaFleur's, your Zach Taylor, your Sean McVay, all these, all these guys that branch off of him. And it's like, yeah, he's this modern coach, but at the same time, this dude, when he has his thought in his head, that's what he's going with. You got Trey Sermon, your third round pick, and you're like, nah, that's sixth round rookie. That's the one I want. Trey Lance traded three first round picks for him. This is the guy. Nah, Jimmy G, this guy that like we've thought about trading for months now. This is this is the guy. When he's locked in, Brandon Ayuk couldn't get out of the doghouse for the first month of the season. He was, I think he was like on punt coverage duty at one point to start the year. Like he was a gunner or just wasn't even on the field at all. So yeah, no, just Kyle Shanahan, when he has his opinion, that's what he's going to stick to for better or worse. And when Trey Lance is in Brandon, Ayuk almost becomes the number one target for the 49ers for some weird reason. It's like Debo basically became a de facto running back and George Kittle was absent in the two games that, Trey Lance has played. So, yeah, now all of a sudden, Ayuk is getting the bulk share of the targets. Well, it's actually um, pretty simple as to why Trey Lance would and Brandon Ayuk would have good chemistry. Brandon Ayuk was lower on the depth chart, so he and Trey Lance probably have a lot of a lot of reps together. So they is Kyle have, Shanahan a good coach or not? All right. Well, so here's the thing. You want, so the Kyle Shanahan good coach debate is a very, very interesting one. Because if you uh, know kind of the like the history, I believe he's still a sub-500 coach uh, all-time in terms of wins and losses. And I understand wins and losses don't tell the full story. They were a historically injured team last year. They didn't have a consistent quarterback his first season and all this other stuff. But at the same time, this is a guy that is supposed to be – like he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be good – and every week we seem to see him do something kind of dumb or lose a game that he shouldn't lose. Like against, uh, against the Titans, they just looked bad. 
they got lucky and tied it up late, but just they didn't look good ever. And I believe he still has a worse win percentage than uh, like pl- uh, plenty of we'll call them bad coaches. Like Doug Marone has more has more career has more career wins. Granted, he coached a little bit longer. More career wins, lower yeah. win percentage. But there's the one that everyone throws around that Matt Nagy has a higher winning percentage than Kyle. Yeah, Shanahan. because Matt Nagy has gotten a tough rap. Okay, Matt Nagy. Uh, Matt Nagy has been just. I feel so bad for the guy at because on the one hand, he does dumb things. Not gonna not gonna argue that. But on the other hand, you see him get. He had Nick Foles out there. Shouldn't have played him as much as he did, but he did. And they lost a lot of games. And I think that they would have won more games if Mitch Trubisky was playing because Trubisky brought something better than Nick Foles does, but he didn't play him. You have the this year where it's they, they, they're like the whole injury thing. Oh, every team's hurt. No one's paying attention to how hurt the Bears are. Their offensive line, I'm pretty sure they're on like their fourth string offensive lineman at like four out of the five spots or something stupid like that. It's like every tackle has been hurt. Every guard, everybody has been hurt there, but yeah, no. So Kyle Shanahan has coached five seasons. Uh, uh, let's see. So Nick Scorich uh, from the 1960s to the seventies has a better win percentage. Uh, let's see. Dave Winstead has a better win percentage at 485. Uh, <laughs> Mike <laughs> Tice, buddy, Ryan. just there's, there's all Dan Quinn. Has a five has a five oh six win percentage compared to Kyle Shanahan's four seventy five or forty seven point five so point four seven five. Kyle Shanahan is thirty eight and forty two in his career. That's he's not he's not been a great coach. He's just Anthony Lynn, who was the butt of everybody's jokes and just constantly couldn't get out of his own way, is thirty three and thirty two in his career. He is at least above five hundred. Well, the thing that I find fascinating with the Shanahan part is I always thought we just agreed that the reason that was the case was because we could explain away the first season where they didn't have a quarterback. We could explain away the year Jimmy G tore his ACL and they finished 4-12. and 12. I thought we could kind of explain away that it's like a fluky stat because we know the 49ers have had a couple of weird seasons with Shanahan. You can even throw last year in the mix where they had everyone get injured and went 6-10. and 10. I thought it was just we could explain away the three bad seasons out of the five that Shanahan's had in his career. Well, so one thing I want to look at real quick in terms of like his ratings for his career, he, this isn't the, he in four out of the five seasons since he's been in San Francisco, he has two top 10 offenses in terms of yards. One was obviously 2019. And then the other one is this year, but in terms of points, he has just one top 10 offense. He has in his career, he has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven as a play, like an offensive coordinator or like or play caller, where his team didn't finish top 10 in offensive yards. And four or three of those five or three of those are in San Francisco. Everybody wants to make excuses. Guess what? You only get excuses for so long. You, you, Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy didn't get excused because he he had Mitch Trubisky and Trubisky. As I am, I am one of the bigger defenders of Trubisky as a as a quarterback. He did have his warts. That's there's no doubt about that. But nobody's saying, oh, let Matt Nagy off the hook. He had to deal with Mitch Trubisky for three or four years or whatever it was. No, no one is doing that. Why? So why does Kyle Shanahan get? Why does he get let off the hook? Because he's the because he's the young, cool guy, and the other coaches that he's had underneath him are doing well. 
Well, in the modern NFL, I feel like any coach that goes under 500 for back-to-back seasons is going to get calls for their job just as a force of habit. And we're going to start to question how good or bad someone is just based on that principle of the NFL supposed to legislate parity. And if you're not that team with that quarterback, then something's got to change. And I mean, <laughs> it's the same way why Mike Zimmer just doesn't give a fuck anymore about anything. He's just like, yeah, whatever. We're, we're, we've designed a team to win seven games and now people want to fire me. I'm like, what do you, what do you want me to do with that? And so I feel like that's just the nature of the NFL is that when we can't figure out why a team isn't playing well, the immediate person to point to is the head coach because general managers have been given the job security to pick two and even three head coaches sometimes. And so that's an easy thing people can point to when you can't overhaul the roster. Yeah. Also as a Packer fan, I'm okay with Mike Zimmer not being fired. So I I don't, I, I mean, in fairness, last year in so October 2020, we did uh, we did a podcast where I was like, "Who are two names that might be on the hot seat down the road?" I'm like, "Well, Mike Zimmer and Pete Carroll, both you can make the case for. They haven't done a bad job, but does your organization want to sign up for them for the next five seasons as their head coach? And if not, then it could be an amicable parting of ways. The Seahawks have kind of decided like Pete Carroll is going to be the coach kind of as long as he wants, and." The only reason they wouldn't is because Russell Wilson really wants him gone. But even as an organization, if you got rid of Pete Carroll now, you'd just be doing it to say you did it. It's not like he's, it's not like you're going to find another Pete Carroll anywhere. You're just saying it, you're just doing it to do it at that point. So I think it's kind of the same case with the Vikings and Zimmer. It's like they've done exactly what I thought they would over the past two seasons and firing Zimmer would just be saying you did it at that point. Cause Sure, maybe you can find another Mike Zimmer, but you could also spend 10 years just cycling through coaches trying to find one. uh, But I don't under, I mean, like I said, the reason I'm saying I'm okay with him keeping Zimmer, I don't think Zimmer is a put you over the top coach. I I think he's a fine coach. And if Minnesota is content to be fine, as a great, like I said, as a Green Bay fan, I'm okay with, I'm okay with them being fine (laughs) because that just means that Green Bay is going to do well. Minnesota signed up for this. They signed up for this when they extended Kirk Cousins for two more seasons at that gigantic cap number. They signed up for, we're fine just being average. Yep, 100%. If you don't put, if you, if you allot the amount of money that they did to Kirk Cousins, which Kirk Cousins, again, is a fine quarterback. I don't think he is a put you over the top guy. And that's, and that's what we're seeing because when Dalvin Cook is hurt and out, they need him to. They need Kirk to carry them, and Kirk can't necessarily do that. Obviously, he didn't play Sunday night. That was Sean Mannion. But it's there are a lot of teams in the NFL that move on from coaches too quick, and I think that there are others that let coaches go too long. I'm not necessarily saying that with Kyle Shanahan. I might be saying that with Pete Carroll though, because like this team isn't really improving. Again, I think they're just spinning the wheels. I don't know if they've won. Like think I think they've won what one playoff game in the last five years one two three they four. are the, the stat they, yeah. I throw around yeah I think it's one or two but the oh stat wait, no, they won they won one two years ago in 2019 and then they lost but they're not they haven't that been great I throw around with the Seahawks is that they've won more games before this year they won more games in any six year stretch than any team in NFL history that didn't make a conference championship. 15, 59 games in six seasons, most wins of any team that did not play in an NFC or AFC championship game. Yeah, well, but I don't 
and I don't necessarily fault Carroll for that. I fault him a little bit, but I don't fault him fully. I think that that's a matter of playing in a strong division. Like, let's see, in that six-year stretch in 2019, you have San Francisco's in your division and Green Bay also in that in that conference. 2020, you run into the Rams, who the Rams are playing elite defense. 2018, I'm I'm not sure who they ran into in the playoffs there. I think it was the Rams. Was that the Rams' really good year? Yep, the Rams were 13 uh, and three that year. I don't know if that's who they ran into in the playoffs, but the Rams were 13 and three, and so that held them back in their own division. You just go back year by that year. year uh, that year, they lost to the Cowboys in the wild card, who then lost to the Rams. So you just sit here and you work back, and they've just had tough. They've had tough draws, but granted. Sorry, sorry about you. That's just the way it goes. You don't want to have tough draws go out and win your division when you're uh, and win the number one seed, and you'll get to play the hypothetical worst team. Just go out and win. Just go out and win the one seed. That's all you got to do. But it feels like over enough years, it's easy to see when we know a coach is doing something to change the game. Like things that are difficult to explain from the talent on paper. It's it's like we can kind of figure it out. For example, like there's a handful of coaches. If I ask you, is Zach Taylor a good coach? No idea. I have no idea if Zach Taylor is a good coach or not. Because going into this year, he had a worse winning percentage than Adam Gase. He gets three all-pro players, and all of a sudden they win the AFC North. Have no idea if Zach Taylor is a good coach or not. No idea if Mike Vrabel is a good coach or not. No idea if any of these people are actually good. Sean McDermott, no idea if he's a good coach. I know he's not a bad coach. No idea if he's a good coach. It feels like it's easy to see because there's a body of work for certain coaches. And it doesn't even take a long time. Like we all know McVay's a really good coach and it's only been what, like five years of him coaching the Rams. Is he a good so, coach? I feel like McVay's a great coach. Okay. I mean, I mean, Kyle Shanahan completely has his number, but okay. Yeah. But that's not necessarily means he's not the all timer. Okay, I'm, I'm mostly joking. I'm mostly joking. Yeah. I think Sean McVay is a good coach. I also think Sean McDermott is a good coach. I think that, that but I one thing I've noticed is no coach is immune, and this goes all the way up to Bill Belichick, all the way down to the worst coaches in the league, whether that's Dave Cully or whoever. No coach is immune to getting in their own way and like being unable to get out of their own head. Mm-hmm. Sean McDermott in the game in the the wor- the whirlwind game against the Patriots a few weeks ago just refused to run the ball with Josh Allen. There was room to do it, just he wouldn't do it. And yeah. That was him getting, I think, getting in his own head. I th- and people say, "Oh, well, McDermott doesn't call the plays, or that's that's the that's the OC's job." I don't care. As the head coach, it's your job to get your team in the position to succeed. And you may not be calling the plays, but you can call. You can buzz up to the offense coordinator and say, "Hey, this is what we need to do." And I think that McDermott didn't do that. I think that he blinked, and Bill Belichick didn't, and that's why they lost. Zach Taylor, I think that he also gets in his own way and can't get out of his own head sometimes. Case in point, the Jets game. The, the Jets had like the Bengals should not have lost that game. They were they are the objectively better team, and they flat out and they just lost the game because they didn't show up to play that day. And granted, I will admit that they got kind of screwed over on that on that hell to helmet call at the end of the game. That was not that shouldn't have been a flag. The NFL remains stupid. But the Bengals get, can't get out of their own way. Sometimes they will run the ball too much when they don't need to. They will try and sit on. They'll try and sit on leads like the against the Chiefs the other day. I get like I got what they were doing with the whole like they're going for it, and then 
once they, I mean, once they got that, for, like people are like, oh, why are they going for it on fourth down? If you get stopped short, you don't score. It's like, yeah, if they don't score, the Chiefs have to go 99 yards in 45 seconds, and I don't, and I think they had like one timeout left. Meanwhile, for the Bengals, they score great. If not, that's okay. Again, got to go 99 yards. And then once so, they do that, just kneel down a couple times, let the clock run, kick a field goal, game over. Well, so then what's the separator between those coaches that we know are awesome? Like, is it just being really smart football minds like Belichick or Andy Reid and Mike Tomlin and then getting lucky at, you know, a quarterback position or with an edge rusher or something like that? Is it just, you know, being really smart and getting lucky with the quarterback position? I mean, there's a little bit of luck in anything, any, anybody like, and this goes for all walks of life. This goes for NFL head coaches. This goes for the job that you end up with. This goes for when you're in college, if you go random roommates, the random roommates you end up with everything, luck is involved in everything in life. I, I got a random roommate my freshman year of college. He and I are friends to this day. Like he lived four hours away from me. We had never met, had nothing, had never met before. He and I are friends. Now we've been friends for Eight years, we talk every single day. Luck is involved in everything. So Zach Taylor in in Cincinnati, he goes and he, quote unquote, lucks into the number one pick and gets Joe Burrow. And then, in my opinion, gets lucky and doesn't. And he gets he gets lucky that he gets a franchise where the owner is so conservative he won't fire the coach, even though the coach probably should have been fired last year. Mm-hmm. So Zach Taylor got another year and he has now earned at least one more season with this team. At least one more. I'm not going to say two more, but at least one more with this team. That's like you get like luck in luck matters. And yeah, like getting lucky with a quarterback kind of matters. But as we can see with San Francisco, sometimes you don't need a quarterback. Like San Francisco just has a, a system of running the ball. And as long as the quarterback doesn't beat them, they will win more games than they'll lose. Only problem is they their quarterback sometimes loses them more games than they win. And then the flip side of that argument would be, why did they get Trey Lance in the first place? Because I think because uh, Kyle Shanahan is a bad talent evaluator or bad offensive talent evaluator, which that's just, that's not news though. Like, cause he went to bat for Dante Pettis. He had the whole Trey Sermon bit. There's the Trey Lance thing. Now there's just the Brandon Ayuk situation to start the year. There's, there's constantly like, I think there's guys that need to focus on doing what they do. Well, there's a reason Matt LaFleur for green Bay, doesn't really do a whole lot with the whole with the uh, the personnel side of things. Like he might say, "Hey, yeah, no, that guy's decent or looks good," but there's separation there. Like he lets the GM do his job, the GM lets him do his, lets the coach do his job. And I think that there are certain teams that are better in that, better at that than others. And that's why you get a team like Mike Tomlin has openly said before. Like Mike Tomlin does a very good job of balancing the aspect of player talent and like the GM hat and the head coach hat. And that's why they're so consistent all the time. And I understand he's not the GM for Pittsburgh, but he has a lot of influence in on that locker room. So he, uh, so it just, like I said, luck involves a, is, is involved a lot. And I think that there are too many times where people want to give credit to someone that doesn't necessarily deserve it. Even though that person probably just got lucky. I'm not going to call Bill Belichick lucky for getting Tom Brady but at the end, but he's kind of lucky. Like if Drew Bledsoe never gets hurt, and Tom Brady doesn't go into the game and perform well, and 
do we ever see Tom Brady or do we see this run of Patriots dominance? Because we don't, we don't see that, but I feel certain that Belichick would just be a hall of fame coach. And this is, again, if you're, if you're listening on the podcast, you got to take a shot every time I say this, but I was listening to the uh, Seth Wickersham book with Bill Belichick on Belichick and Brady and Robert Kraft. And one of the things that he talks to Mike Shanahan and Mike Shanahan's like, I won two Super Bowls and thought I was the peak of my sport. And then Bill Belichick happened. I'm like, I I can't figure out what the difference between myself and Bill Belichick is other than Bill Belichick got that sustained greatness of like, okay, this person just wiped out everything any other coach had ever done. And Bill Belichick being that smart of a defensive coach, Mike Shanahan changed offensive football for 25 years. And he looks at Belichick and he's like, I don't understand. And I think that's a big part of it is you, Bill Belichick would have been a Hall of Fame coach anyways. Not, yeah, right no, I, I'm, not, I'm not dogging Bill like, yeah. at all. I, I'm not saying that he's not a great coach. I'm just more yeah. saying that's luck right there. Oh, I the, think I Green, think the okay, Green Bay got lucky yeah. in getting Aaron Rodgers. You have the yeah. California boy who went to Cal, and he has been a San Francisco 49ers fan his entire life. And he is he is in the 49ers backyard, and they pass on him for Alex Smith because they think that Rodgers is too arrogant. And you know what? In fairness, Aaron Rodgers is a little bit arrogant. It's not it's not wrong. He's that's but something so he's openly that's admitted. The other part, though, but it's like <laughs> Aaron, but Aaron, so Green Bay gets lucky. Aaron Rodgers falls to twenty to twenty five, and if he doesn't, if San Francisco takes him, and then Green Bay takes Alex Smith, the the NFL the NFL NFL is completely different over the last fifteen years. So yeah, the Packers, years, it's the Packers are back to being the team over the edge in the 1970s and 1980s that doesn't win games, and they look kind of something like the Cleveland Browns, and maybe they move out of Wisconsin. Like it changes all that history because of that lucky break there, and all of this comes down to the the very end analysis is luck, but getting to the place of putting yourself in a position to succeed. That's the thing that can kind of differentiate. It's why I say if you can get to the final four, that's a that means you are an elite team and that's your monicum of success. If you lose in the conference championship or lose in the Super Bowl, it's just a coin toss. Like it's just so random once you get to that point that yeah, you, you can have all the success in the world and luck is gonna end up being the difference at the very end, especially this year where the Browns are one Nick Mullins drive and Derek Carr pass interference away from being in the playoffs, but now they're out of the playoffs and they might replace Baker Mayfield. It's like all of this is weird luck. Coaches used to drive themselves crazy. I can't remember who said it, but basically it was like trying to spend 18 hours a day controlling the 20% you can control. It was the thing that used to drive coaches crazy all the time. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, luck's, in, luck's involved in everything. It's luck and it's human and it's human error. When you like have humans that are going to make mistakes that are going to change, dramatically change the outcome of your, of entire games, that's, you got to get lucky. You got to hope that you get lucky on the call. Like uh, I look at the, the, everybody knows the Saints Rams pass interference call from the playoffs the year the Rams went to the Super Bowl. That was pass interference. 100%, no doubt about it. And if you are listening to this podcast now and you have the audacity to say that it wasn't pass interference, you're wrong. You are you are a biased Rams fan. 
or you are blind. I don't know which one it is, or you are the referee that made the call. I'm not sure which one it is, but you're you're flat out wrong. Or you're me who just says referee error is part of the game. And so but there, say, there's, refer- <laughs> there's referee error, and then there's that. That was that was blatant referee error. And if you had told me that that ref had money on the game, I would have believed you. Granted, I think mm-hmm. that the I think that the NFL and the sports books might be fixed now, but that's a different story for a different day. But no, there's yes, human error and luck is going to be a thing. If like if you go to the Green Bay game against the Buccaneers when Tampa was holding Green Bay all game long, had multiple plays, game changing plays that went their way because the referee threw a flag or didn't throw a flag in their favor, that changes the entire game. Green Bay didn't get lucky that day, and that's and they lost. Tampa Bay got lucky and they won. That's it's the way it works. Green Bay was a top four team last year. I think if Green Bay goes to the Super Bowl, I think Green Bay can beat. I think Green Bay beats Kansas City just like Tampa Bay did. Not maybe not necessarily as dominant, but I think they still beat them. And then we're talking about back-to-back MVPs and back-to-back championships for the Packers, and the entire Aaron Rodgers narrative changes. But I think that's why a lot of the analysis we do is kind of dumb, is because Sean Payton is no better or worse a coach because of that pass interference call and the Packers dynasty is no greater or worse because they lose all these conference championship games. Sure. They don't win a championship, but the fact that they went to five conference championships this year will be six. And that doesn't even count the year they were 15 and one and lost to the giants. So basically seven conference championships in 15 years is pretty like non-patriots in a non-patriots world it's one of the most incredible runs of success in the nfl of the last 40 years and we don't talk about it that way is kind of jarring but i think that's why a lot of the analysis we do is kind of dumb around results based and human error and just pure luck in a lot of those cases the process itself is kind of what's you know amazing to me it's why i'm amazed that we don't talk about how the Chiefs are the greatest thing non-Patriots category that we've ever seen in the NFL. We Maybe because it, it's still kind of early, but I'm just surprised we don't talk about them in the same way we talk about some of the, the amazing dynasties is because they. I guess it's just too results-driven at that point. Eh, I don't I don't know if I would go so much to say that we don't talk about the Chiefs enough. I know, like, I've seen the Chiefs, I've seen the Chiefs slowly become the, the, the Cowboys, the like the team that everybody wants to talk about, they lead off every major show. They get talked about even when there's no point in talking about them because it's like they didn't even play this week. Like the Chiefs could with the Chiefs could go on a bye and they're still going to be one of the top three most talked about teams on every major sports network for the entire week. They are. But that isn't that good. isn't that what the Patriots used to be though? Isn't that what New England was for fifteen to twenty years though? The Patriots still are that way. New England is talked about every week. If they win or lose, they are still one of the most talked about teams because everybody, because now, now rather than the, oh, the Patriots are just dominant. They have Brady, Belichick, yada, yada. Now it's the, oh, Brady went and won a Super Bowl. Belichick got angry, spent a lot of money. And now Belichick is, is running through the, the AFC. He's playing different. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's being lighthearted at the podium, et cetera. That, that, they're still talked about all the time. Because and it, like if they win like when they beat the Bills, they're the best team in the AFC, arguably best team in the NFL. And then they lose like a week later by the, to the to the Colts after the Colts just ran over them. And then Jonathan Taylor hit the walk off home run. Oh, maybe the Patriots aren't that good after all. Mac Jones can't do this. And it's like just, 
they're still talked about all the time. Meanwhile, you get a team like Tennessee who has quietly just is currently the one seed in the AFC has played more players than any, in on in one season than any other team has ever played. They've had over I think over 90 players now and Mike Vrabel is third in coach of the year voting despite him having his team in the one seed in the conference over that's over the Chiefs, it's over the Patriots, over the Bills, all these other guys. And he is and he's done and that's where they're at right now. But so, small I think market the reason, talked about. I think the reason we don't do that one is because we know the Titans facade is kind of BS. Like we know, we know the Titans don't belong in the one seed. We know the Titans Why? don't belong there. Why don't they? The they, beat the the, Titans... they beat the Colts twice. They beat Seattle. They beat they lost they lost to Pittsburgh in a one score game. They beat the 49ers. They beat the Dolphins, who were on a what eight game winning streak. They have they, they lost to the Patriots. They got dog walked by the Patriots in a game where they were starting, I believe, their fourth, like third and fourth running backs. They beat the Saints. They beat the Rams on the road. They beat the Chiefs. Dog walked the Chiefs 27-3. 27-3. They beat the Bills. They beat all these good teams. Why? Why? And they've done all this. Derrick Henry hasn't been here in two months. They AJ Brown has been out in and out of the lineup like every other week for the since the season started. Julio Jones, I don't know if his plane has landed yet from – oh, wait, I'm getting word. I'm getting word. He actually has been on the field this year. I haven't seen him. <laughs> I, the, the reason that we don't believe the Titans is because the Titans have not been an elite team in the past, and the Tennessee Titans have not added any new talent in the past – two years that really moves the needle like game changingly moves the needle across the NFL like and that's the part where I feel like they're the same team I saw last year keep the Ravens to 17 points and then Lamar Jackson slipped through a six inch hole in the offensive line and went for a 50 yard touchdown and that was it that was the end of the Tennessee Titans as they were constructed last season won 11 games and one Lamar Jackson play took him out right at the end and I imagine one Josh Allen play could take him out right at the end. Why? Because their counter to that is Derrick Henry. And when you put Derrick Henry up against some of those other stars of the league, you kind of bank on the other players over the Tennessee Titans. It's why the Titans are like the eighth best team in football this year, the ninth best team in football this year that just happens to be the number one seed because of bullshit tiebreakers and the way that things broke for the Chiefs. Like We kind of know the Titans are – who the Titans are because they've been pretty consistently the same team for like three years now, which was different than the team they were three years before that. And I think the only difference is Derrick Henry became a hall of fame level offensive player and AJ Brown became a pro bowl wide receiver within the last three years. And it took him from being the punchline that's, Hey, seven and nine every year for four straight years to now we're going to go 10 and six every year maybe win a couple playoff games here. And if we're lucky with three weird plays in a playoff game, we'll pull one of the great upsets of the last 10 years in the playoffs against the 14 and two Baltimore Ravens. And they ended the Patriots dynasty. Are you just ignoring that? Yeah, pretty much. Cause that Patriots team was pretty crap that year. Like Tom Brady had a worse passer rating than Mitch Trubisky. Cause that offense was so broken in that game. We forget about it. In that game, the Patriots did the Patriot thing on defense. They had like the number three ranked defense in the NFL that year. They held the Titans to 13 points. They said, we're going to take away A.J. Brown and then dare you to beat us. A.J. Brown had like two catches in the entire game. They held the Titans to 13 points offensively and 
that that offense, that broken offense that year with Tom Brady and no offensive line and no weapons couldn't get 13 points. And that was the reason it ended. That Patriots team was so broken on offense that the Titans, who got beat by Belichick schematically defensively, still won the game because the Patriots offense was so broken. So would you say that they got lucky and that's why they ended up winning? Exactly. And the game after that, I've been saying this, we've been doing a podcast the entire time. I've been saying it now. It's two full years, 24 months at this point, is that game started off with a Lamar Jackson pass off the hands of Mark Andrews intercepted by Kevin Byron. The Baltimore should have gone up 7 nothing right there, first drive of the game, through Mark Andrews' hands intercepted by Kevin Byron. Next drive, they have fourth and one, which they converted 95% of the time during the season. Fourth and one, don't get it. Titans get the ball. Uh, I don't think they score on that one. But again, points off the board. Next drive, fourth and one, don't convert again. And then it's that 50-yard touchdown that Tannehill throws. And instead of being up 14-0, you're down 14-0. Lamar has to throw it 55 times, and the Titans have Derrick Henry, who can just run the clock out on your defense. Like, just... Three plays, 28-point swing, Titans pull one of the great upsets of the last 10 years in the playoffs. Incredible, incredible luck for the Titans. And we know they're not an elite team because they haven't done anything to the team to make them an elite team. No, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I don't think that the Titans are the best team in the AFC. I just wanted to be be difficult because at the end of the day, they have beat – they have beat Buffalo. They did beat Kansas City. They they beat teams that like and you can all and people oh well yeah well they they beat a Kansas City team that was playing bad at the time and they did this and this and it's like yeah well you beat who's on your schedule okay at the yeah. end of the day that's how it works they you beat who shows up on your schedule you beat who shows up in your building and it doesn't matter if that's Houston New Orleans Jacksonville Pittsburgh whatever you play who's on your schedule and. Everybody can make the whole, oh, well, this guy, this team isn't actually that good because they lost to this team. It's like, yeah, well, I can sit here and make a path to how the Detroit Lions beat the Green Bay Packers, who have the best record. Like, it's, it, it's, it, or I can make an argument as to how Jacksonville beat them. Like, Jacksonville beat Miami, who beat New Orleans, who beat Green Bay. Boom, done. Jacksonville is better than Green Bay. That's, so like this, like it's, you play, you play who's on your schedule. And that's just the end of the story. It doesn't doesn't need to be anything more complicated than that. I think that we, I mean, we got on this huge tangent here talking about is Kyle Shanahan a good coach? I think Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. I think he's overrated as a coach. I think that's fair to say. And like, just because I see a guy that every year seems to, everybody seems to want to make excuses for him. Dude, sucks to suck, man. Injuries happen. Nobody was making excuses for Dan Quinn when he lost like his entire defensive secondary in a, in like a six quarters mm-hmm. no one made excuses for him and he's out of it and he got taken out of a job then he went to and then he went to dallas no one's going to no one made excuses for uh what's for doug peterson when literally like the entire roster was hurt everybody's just like oh well he, he's got to do better he's got to win what it happens injuries happen everybody gets hurt every year and you can't you can't pick and choose who you're going to make excuses for you, that's just not how this game works. The game of football, people are going to get hurt. That's what happens when you play a physical and violent game like football is. People are going to get hurt, and the best teams are the ones that have depth and can imp- can overcome those injuries. Buffalo, who lost Trey White, their best corner, one of the best corners in football, has continued to 
they found ways to get it done, to get the job done without Trey White in the lineup. It's not always pretty, but they're getting the job done. Green Bay has and, lost multiple starting offensive linemen. They're getting the job done. Tampa and the, lost multiple starters. Getting the job done. That's just what you got to do. And I think all of this plays into, and this is kind of the, the weirdest part about football now, is that when you take away stars left and right with injuries, is that t- everyone has pretty great players, and many of those great players get hurt. What's left standing at the end is part depth, but also it's at least for the past like five years in a post, you know, post Peyton Manning, Brock Osweiler, Broncos world standing at the end is Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. I would argue Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson hasn't been, hasn't had a healthy team for two consecutive years, but those three always seem to end up at the end. And you can throw Bill Belichick in the mix there too. If you want to include Tom Brady there, it's that, when push comes to shove, those teams have created gulfs so far ahead of the rest of the league over the past four or five years that it's always them ending up at the end. Every now and then someone's going to punch through. You know, the NFC has pretty strong parity. You know, 12 different teams have made the Super Bowl in the last 15 years. But this is just a, a big change in the roster building world of the NFL, which is if you don't have that, what do you do? If you're one of the teams that's a step below them because you have Derrick Henry as your best player or you have Josh Allen as your best player, well, what do you do then? What do you do if you're not that? And this is all just kind of a a question of what are the expectations of building a team? Is it to win a championship? Because if you're trying to win a championship, it's going to be really freaking hard to do that over the next, you know, five years. It's going to be really hard unless you get one of those guys. And it's really hard if you're one of the teams that doesn't have anything you can point to and say that's kind of the thing that's going to carry us forward. I think it's just a matter of expectations and figuring that out. If you're building a team with any intention other than winning championships, I I don't want you to be anywhere near – like if I'm an owner and I'm interviewing general managers and – I, and I bring you in and you never once mentioned that you want to win championships. Like if you, like you don't even mention it, you talk about everything else. You could say everything else, right. If you never talk about the fact that you want to win a championship, what the, what the hell are we doing here? This isn't, and, this is, this isn't high school where it's, Oh, well, I want to leave. I want these guys to leave better men than when they got here. That's one thing in the NFL in a, in a billion billions of dollars business. Winning championships is is the goal. That is the end-all, be-all. I talked to a friend of mine who writes about the NBA after the James Harden trade when Brooklyn traded ever, traded all this stuff for him. I was like, is it worth it? He's like, if they win a championship, everything's worth it. Milwaukee traded all sorts of picks last year to make sure that they got Drew Holiday, and they won a championship. It doesn't matter after that. The Lakers traded all sorts of stuff to Anthony Davis. They won a championship. It doesn't matter what you gave up. As long as if you win a championship, it doesn't matter. Anybody, can, every fan of every other team can put an asterisk on it. Oh, you had to buy your championship or whatever. Guess what? They won. They won. They're the best. You're not. End of story. It doesn't point blank period. Bucks best team in football last year because they won a championship. That's how it works. And this is the fun part about doing this analysis and it's moving increase. It's been this way for a while in the NBA because the the star players matter so much and it's moving that way in the NFL because you're seeing such a talent gap at the top 
and organizations that make mistakes at the bottom or don't have plans to develop in the middle and at the bottom, like year after year after year. But if I were in that meeting for the NBA owner, the thing I would say is, and this is what the Lakers basically did is what is your goal? We're going to win a championship. How are you going to do that? LeBron James is going to choose to play for our team. How are you going to win a championship? Kevin Durant is going to choose to play for our team. Miami Heat, what is your game plan? Giannis is going to choose to play for our team. And if not, we'll do our best, (laughs) but just know we're probably not going to win a championship unless that guy gets hurt and it just creates a power vacuum at the top. And that's kind of the weird chaos that allowed Joe Flacco to slip through the cracks and win a Super Bowl was, yeah, Tom Brady got hurt. And that's how Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. And it's like weird stuff like that can happen. But the results-oriented business will drive people crazy if you hinge everything on the results instead of hinging it on the process because the results can be so freaking random. And I talked about this with the Chargers. It's like the Chargers are doing their best, but think about what you're trying to overcome. It's greatest offensive coach in the history of the NFL and greatest quarterback in the history maybe of the NFL. The most talented quarterback to ever pick up a football. That's a pretty hard starting point to try and overcome if you're the Chargers, the Raiders, or the Broncos. And sometimes it's just, yeah, that's just kind of tough. It's tough how that breaks if you're trying to play the results-oriented business. And I think even in our analysis, we drive ourselves crazy with the results-oriented stuff. Uh, real quick, just to to take back some Joe Flacco slander, <laughs> the, the Ravens dominated the Patriots in the playoffs with a healthy Tom Brady. Tom Brady played the full game, 29 to 54, 320 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, had a quarterback rating of 62.3 compared to a 106.2 for Joe Flacco. So, okay, which which year was the year that Tom Brady got hurt? Was that, that was like the, 2009. That was like 2009. 2009. That was yeah, so cuz when who you won said the, who won that year, I'm trying you know, to cuz when you said the like the Baltimore Ravens, I was like, no, I was like that doesn't sound right. I was like, I'm pretty. I was like, I'm pretty sure they beat him in the Patriots. That beat the Patriots in the playoffs because I believe that was like a Jacoby Jones touchdown, maybe like a long one to him. Let's see. So oh, it was 2008. Right. They played, they played the two, Broncos that year. It was 2008. It was Matt Castle, and they the Patriots did not make the playoffs because I believe the New York Jets played spoiler in like the final week of the season. And oh, was that the year the Colts went to the Super Bowl with Jim Caldwell? Oh, I I, I believe I believe that was that was the year, and they went and they lost to the. And I believe they Saints, lost, right? The same. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. But, but no, so no, Joe Flacco slander will not be tolerated on your podcast. Fair enough. Well, actually, no, nope. That was not the Colts Super Bowl year. Colts went in 2000, on the 2009 season. I'm looking, 2009. I'm looking here. So that means that would have been the Steelers one. That would have been the Steelers. Yes, I believe it was the Steelers Cardinals. Yeah, I believe it was Steelers Cardinals was uh, what it was. Yep. Steelers were the Super Bowl champions over the Cardinals. That was the Santonio Holmes catch in that game. But no, so it's just – it's all a matter of – and like anybody that drives themselves crazy over football analysis and trying to play – like if you try and like look back at games and figure out, oh, how did this happen, you will drive yourself nuts. That's why I don't really do it. As a person that gambles and like bets on sports, I would drive myself insane if I went back and rehash all of the various bets that I didn't win. Right? Like I would just – I would I would go insane like oh of course they didn't of course they did that of course the, this bet wouldn't have hit I should have known better like or uh, oh of course this is the guy that scores the first touchdown of the game and gets the big payout I should have known that that was going to happen of course they would throw it to the backup tight end duh 
No, if you drive yourself, like if you always, if you focus on the results and not the process, that's why like the process is what matters when you're like, whenever you're analyzing anything, football or <laughs> trust whatever, the process. Bum, no, that's, bum, no, bum, I don't, I don't, I, don't trust I mean, process, process matters, process matters, but yeah. it's process over results, like results matter. Yes. But your process of how you get there is ultimately what matters. And so if you have a team, do you have a, like, like, let's go back to my analogy of me being an owner. If I have a GM come in, talk to me about his process and tell me what his ultimate goal, his ultimate goal, win a championship and build a sustainable contender. Great. Awesome. Now what's your process for how we're going to get there? Uh, I don't know. Okay, dude, that doesn't, uh, why would I, why would I hire you? If you don't have a process for how you want to do it, all you're doing is telling me what you think I want to hear. I want to mm-hmm. hear how you're going to build this sustainable contender and win championships. That's what, like, I want to know how you're going to get to, to the top of the steps. You're just trying to tell me, yep, I'm just going to get to the top of the stairs. How are you going to get there? Uh, are you going to, you going to jump? You, Cause you can't do it that way. It doesn't work that way. You don't, you don't luck into a championship contender. That's not how life works. Mm-hmm. And so, so at the end of the day, you're right. Don't, don't drive yourself nuts over analyzing results. Go and analyze the way, the process of how you got to those results. And that'll ultimately lead you to success in any and all things, whether that's football or regular life as it is. If you well, have good process, you will have good results. That is the thing I was going to say. As long as you have a process that is, you know, grounded in being really smart and understanding the industry that you're working in and, you know, figure, figuring out nuances within that. You can find success in the process. And this is an interesting part about ownership and management is that the most successful organizations very easily are people who spend time and effort putting in, uh, the, putting in the effort to hire people with the right processes who are qualified to do it and then getting out of their way. And then you have the Maras who will take whatever good things that someone tells them and take what they want to hear and then, you know, run their organization very poorly. And in a cutthroat environment of the NFL, where there's so many smart people now being employed by the NFL, there's smart people in management, smart people in coaching more than there's ever been before. You can fall way, way behind by not putting the right people in place or by putting yourself in a position where you feel that you have more expertise than someone else in doing your analysis. Like if like Dan Snyder flying in off the boat and or flying in off of his yacht boat and deciding to draft Dwayne Haskins is something that compromises the process over results situation and franchise. You can name eight, 10, 12 of them who have really fallen behind in that because you're trying to compete with the new England Patriots and you're trying to compete with the Kansas city chiefs, the smartest offensive and defensive mind in the history of the NFL you're trying to compete against that. It's nearly impossible if you don't have a process in place and hire really qualified people. Anybody that ever thinks, if you ever assume you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably the dumbest guy in the room. Straight up. Mm -hmm. Like anybody that ever assumes that they're automatically, yep, I'm the smartest guy in the room. No, you're not. And I know you're not because you assume that you're smarter than everybody else. No, absolutely not. I have... There's no way in hell that anybody can ever think that you know without a doubt that you're the only way you're the smartest person in the room without a doubt is if you are the only person in the room. It's the only, and then guess what? You're also the dumbest guy in there too. And even Bill Belichick will point to it and say, there's more to be learned. There's more that we can bring together because there's always new information. There's always new stimulus. There's always new 
content that we can build off of or whatever it is. There's always something new to be learned. And Bill Belichick knows better than other people in that way. I think Andy Reid follows that same model, which is why you see weird trick plays from 1948 Rose Bowls. And it's why you see organizations that, you know, stick to their guns, even if it's unpopular, because, you know, popular opinion can be one thing, but it's based in, I guess, the best. What is the phrase I used to have? I had a good thing for it, but I'll I'll see if I come back to it, basically, is that. Uh, popular opinion kind of popular opinion is grounded in the simple obvious thing and sometimes the simple obvious thing is often wrong because it's the easiest possibility to come or it's the easiest conclusion to come to but it doesn't make it the most correct i think is kind of something like that yeah no it like sometimes the easiest solution is the right solution like sometimes the easy way out is the wrong thing to do but sometimes the easiest solution is the one's squaring staring smack in the face there's like the uh like packers the way the packers play defense under mike Pettin, they would play very soft coverage and they would put preston smith out on out wide against tight ends and it's like what are are you doing don't do that it's like do the simple thing like like that's what I, i always say that's why the patriots have been so good for so long bill belichick never has guys do things that they can't do he's like all right this guy is good at at uh, two gapping, he's good at this guy's good at rushing the passer. This guy's good at covering wide receivers, but he can't cover big guys. He can only cover shifty guys. All right, cool. Everybody go do that. What else do you want us to do? That's it. But on this other team I was on, guess what? You're not on the other team anymore. You're on this team. Do the thing I tell you to do. We'll win football games. And guess what? They win football games because Bill Belichick takes the simple way to do things of just do what you do well and we'll figure the rest out. Well, then why is it the case that no one else can replicate that? Why because is it that no, one no one else tries to do that. But why does no one else try and do that? Why does no one else try and build in that same way? Or is it just the, the background that Belichick has come through to get him to that point? Is it just that things click for him differently than it does for other people? I think it's everybody else thinks they're smarter than him. And they think that their way is the best way. Like Matt Patricia is a shining example. He was when he was in New when he was in New England. Everyone's like, "This is the guy. This is the next Bill Belichick disciple. This guy's gonna this guy's gonna break the trend. He's gonna be great." And he wasn't because he tried to force everyone to fit his scheme, and that's not how you, that's not how things work. Like it works in New England because you have Bill Belichick there helping, and you have Bill Belichick telling you, "Okay, we're gonna do this, this, and this. We're not gonna do these things. And if we do these things, do them the right way, we'll win games." And there's yeah. Patricia didn't try and do those things. And I, I, I get it. It's every other team should also try and do that, but I don't know why they, I, I can't explain it there. I watch too many football games and you, you and I know both know, we both watch too many football games where a team would have won if they had just done the easy thing. And instead they tried to get too complicated and too complex with it. And they shot themselves in the foot as a result. And it makes football incredibly simple. And it makes basketball incredibly simple in that way, too, when we think about it like that, where it's like, why do people say the process was a failure with Joel Embiid? Well, because they didn't get Giannis out of the Kumpo is basically the only reason. It's like that's a logic that will drive people insane if you keep trying to replicate that over years and years and years is, yeah, sometimes you don't get that lucky. You don't luck your way into having this, this level of a generational talent and even the Patriots, like even the Patriots can, the, the scheme can only overcome so much of a talent gap when they're playing against other teams in similar positions. And so I, I find that to be really fascinating as a blend because the story of how 
Andy Reid was hired by the Eagles is super fascinating because he had never been an offensive play caller before. He was the quarterback's coach for the, the Mike Holmgren Packers. And the Eagles went through like a long search firm to, to hire him. And then they chose Reed and they chose him more so because of the way he talked about, we're going to draft a quarterback with our top draft pick. And then we're not going to have top draft picks for a long time. And the way we're going to build that way is similarly where our offensive scheme is going to be the thing that builds from there. And then we're just going to put people in positions to succeed similar to how Belichick did it. And with talented players and the kind of do your job idea, that's how Andy Reid got hired in Philadelphia in the first place. And then it goes on to become one of the great, I'd say the greatest offensive coach in the history of football, because he knew exactly what he was looking for schematically in football. And then, gets you know talent evaluator gets Patrick Mahomes and all of a sudden Andy Reid has that quarterback for 15 years that changes all of the math and changes his legacy and all that stuff because of really two strategic moves that change everything it's getting Donovan McNabb and getting Patrick Mahomes and then little moves in between to not mess it up in the meantime is that if you do your job in the meantime every couple of years there will be a a, a moment of I guess you should say a moment of a moment of inflection where there's like a big decision that has to be made. And if we talked about this with the Blazers the last time you were on, if you maximize that window and the opportunity is there, you can find another level of success. Possibly it's kind of an interesting way that Andy Reid ends up working his way through 20 years with the Eagles and then the chiefs to, to become what it is that Andy Reid is now. And, basically like the diet version of Belichick, like Hall of Fame level coach building a dynasty for 15 years in two different places. And all it took was getting lucky a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And not messing it up in between. There you go. (laughs) Not doing something catastrophically stupid to mess it up in the meantime. And, you know, just because you don't have that level of success doesn't mean you aren't hugely successful, which is, again, process over results thing we're talking about is like yes it's great to win the championship but Pete Carroll's had a pretty good run over the past 15 years yeah he won the championship with the Seahawks in Super Bowl 48 but you know he's only won one championship in 15 years Andy Reid didn't win a championship for all those years even though he went to like six conference championships and you know he's been to now a few Super Bowls and he just got incredibly unlucky when you get to the end. It doesn't mean Andy Reid's not the second greatest coach ever because he's been to eight conference championships in 20 years. And it's like, yeah, you can drive yourself crazy trying to do that kind of analysis. Yeah, no, it's Andy Reid got Andy Reid got unlucky a few times and it just took him getting lucky once. I mean, if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't overthrow Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl, there's a good chance that they don't win. And there's a good chance that Andy Reid still hasn't won a Super Bowl despite coaching for years and years. And I I mean, I look at it not to bring up like COVID or anything, but that is a like that Jimmy G overthrow potentially changes the next two years of American life. Because if he completes that, there's gonna be a Super Bowl parade in San Francisco. San Francisco was one of the earliest hotspots for COVID. COVID was starting to pop up right around that time. And that parade would have been a super spreader of super spreader events. And it would have been right at the beginning. And then you would have had people flying in from out of town because they want to go to their home. They want to go to their team's Super Bowl parade. 
and they go and then they come back or then they come back from San Francisco to wherever they came from. And that's just like that change, like that play right there changes not only football future, but also real world future. Like mm-hmm. if Jimmy hits that throw, the next two years have, are dramatically different. For one, Mah- is Mahomes actually good enough to win the big one? He couldn't win the big one that year. And he got beat by the he got beat by the Bucks last year. Andy Reid is he ever going to get the big one before he retires? Because he he's had a couple of chances now and he hasn't gotten it done yet. He's come up short multiple times to teams that are more complete. Is he just an offensive guy? Will he ever be able to win a game in the Super Bowl against a team that is complete on both sides of the ball? Because he hasn't done it yet. He's always been the offensive guy. He's never been both sides of the ball guy. That play right really? there, Manuel Sanders getting overthrown by Jimmy G changes two years of every of football and American life, as we know. I'm, I mean, if you are the one that I point to in a similar case, not on the like American life grandiose scale situation, but the one that I point to all the time is the Atlanta Falcons. It's like that you can point to, you can draw a direct line between how Super Bowl Fifty One goes down and the next like ten years of Falcons football. Like, it's incredible how that happens. And this is the part that back when I used to talk about who is the goats in different sports, I don't really care anymore because, you know, the, the conversation, there is no way to say new things about it. But one of the things I pointed to is who did you prevent from being great? Who did you prevent from being you? Who are the people along the way where you can say that person was close, but wasn't quite you? And with the Patriots dynasty, you can point to the Colts and Peyton Manning, they only won one championship. The Steelers won two championships, but probably should have only won one, maybe even zero based on that one weird season where Tom Brady gets hurt. Uh, Phillip Rivers, Patrick Mahomes now, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan's Falcons, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Like, it's amazing how all of that works itself out where everyone's just scrambling and fighting and it's so hard to get to the pinnacle and then boom, seven championships for Tom Brady. And it's just weird how the luck breaks their way more often than everyone else. And it's why they're the most impressive experiment in running a sports franchise in the world of the last 30 years. It's, it is amazing the butterfly effect of things. And also you said next 10 years of Falcons football. It's not even been what's been five years since that game. I think this is year five. Post year five or year six since that 28 to three meltdown. That's like we're halfway through the tenure thing. That's just – and the Falcons went from top of the world, Super Bowl locked up, owner coming down to the field dancing to not making the playoffs this year and have been mediocre ever since and have not been relevant since that happened. Yeah, and what, three coordinators, two head coaches, uh, 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 10 or 12 ridiculous blown leads – um, one playoff appearance where I think they beat the Rams in the playoffs one time. But other than that, like, that's pretty much about it. Like, it's pretty amazing how all of that has gone down in the aftermath. And it's amazing that it doesn't happen to the Patriots and that it's not going to really, I mean, apart from like the start of this year, it's not really going to happen to the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, it's amazing. And it doesn't really happen to Aaron Rodgers. Like, it's amazing how talented those players are and how, you know, how futile this exercise all is when you really think about it. Cause you can go, like we talked about, you can go absolutely insane if you're fighting over results instead of fighting over the process of getting there. Uh, like Titans fans that want to convince themselves of the number one seed. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, 
it will forever be like stunned by this league. This season has made it impossible to predict and to make has made it clear that it's impossible to predict anything that'll ever happen. The bills were a lock to be an elite offense and they were going to do all these great things. And then they come through the year and Josh Allen has 4,100 passing yards in a year that there's an extra game and he's going to pass for fewer yards than he had last year. And Aaron Rodgers, oh, the Packers are going to melt down. And then, oh, week one, yep, Packers are terrible. And then since then, they've gone – since week one, they're 13-2. and two. They've locked up the number one seed in the conference. Matt LaFleur has more wins in his first three seasons as a coach than any other coach ever. At the NFL season, the NFL is the most unpredictable game in the world. And that it is more unpredictable than basketball. Everyone's like, oh, well, any team can win on a given night if they get hot shooting. It's like, yeah, but if you go in a seven-game series – the best team's generally going to win. I raise you on crazy, on most random, ridiculous sport in the world. I raise you Major League Baseball because Major League Baseball, the worst teams in the history of the sport still win one out of every three games, and the best teams in the history of the sport win two out of every three games. It is random, ridiculous, and crazy, and then just like the, the Atlanta Braves walk away with the championship. You're just like, how the hell did that happen? The baseball playoffs, you know, m- more often – not more often than not, about as often as normally – is not any representation of who the best team during the season is. It's you just got to get hot at the right time. That's You got to get hot at the right time, and that's what the Braves did. The Braves went into the playoffs, and got they got hot at the right time at the end of the year, and that's what separated them from every other team. They well, got and hot. the Brewers they got, got hot hurt, when and everybody the Dodgers got hurt, and you know, yep. all that yep. stuff, of course. Those are, both, those are both true. You got to be hot and healthy at the right time. That's why the Bucks won the Super Bowl last year. That's why the Braves won the World Series this year. Those teams get hot and you get healthy at the right time. And that's all it takes. Yeah. All of this stuff really doesn't matter, does it? Like in the grand scheme of things, all of this stuff really doesn't matter. And yet at the same time, let's get freaking pumped for Saints versus 49ers dueling it out for one final playoff spot, even though both teams are going to get destroyed in the playoffs. Yeah, that's sad to think about. Yeah, yeah. No, it's even sadder that the Eagles are in the playoffs. Hey, <laughs> Eagles have been great. Love the Eagles. What? What about the Eagles has been great? <laughs> they can know. run the ball at will. <laughs> okay. Congratulations. Yeah, they, they won nine games this year because they didn't have any of the weird upsets. No, Somehow the, Eagles aren't the, actually, the Eagles aren't actually great. I just I would rather yeah. watch the Eagles play football than watch the Giants or Washington or um let's see. I would rather watch them than Atlanta. Uh let's see, what are some other teams that that's fair, but that those teams were than all Seattle. Bad. Yeah, but those teams are all bad. The, the Eagles are slightly less bad. <laughs> the Eagles I would are, rather watch them than watch Minnesota. I don't know about that one. I don't I, know. I would, I would rather watch Philly play than watch Minnesota play because Minnesota, I know how they're going to play. They're going to drop back. Oh, we're going to hand off to Dalvin Cook. Cool. All right, moving on. Philly, never know what they're going to do. They're bizarro. They'll throw they, – they started the season throwing, passing more than anybody else, and then over the back half of the season, they're like, we're just going to run the ball down everybody's throats, and you're just going to deal with it. Okay. I guess I am slightly more convinced. The Eagles would be more fun than watching the Saints in the playoffs. That, that is – No, no, hold, no on, hold on. I didn't lump the Saints in. I said the Vikings. So yeah, I, the Saints might be fun because their defense is good and Taysom Hill is weird. That's and it. Alvin Kamara is fun, and Alvin Kamara is actually a Hall of Fame running back. So yes, but no. So fun. like for the for the Eagles, the Eagles are fun because they play very they play weird football. But I would rather watch the Eagles in the playoffs than 
the Seahawks, then the Vikings, the Falcons, like all those teams on the fringe. Eagles are my terrible top team. Washington. Yes, and terrible Washington, six and ten. So yeah, no, I'm okay with the Eagles making the playoffs, even if everyone's like, oh, well, they're going to get boat race. Yeah, they probably will, but I'd rather, I still would rather watch them than watch anybody else. But this is what happens when we allow 14 teams in the playoffs: is that someone is going to get boat raced, and then I can make content out of complaining that we have to watch someone get boat raced in the playoffs. This is what the Orlando Magic exists for in the NBA. We allow so many teams in the playoffs, someone's got to get boat raced. Maybe they'll win one game and we can laugh about it. But other than that, we just kind of accept our fate and move on. And that is the way of sports, and that's why they play the games and the games aren't played on paper. Well, and that's why also the leagues make ridiculous amounts of money because they can convince us that five games of Orlando versus Milwaukee is actually interesting television. They are better at – they are good at making money. That is 100% a fact. There's no doubt about it. And with that being said, Gage, I appreciate it. This was a a podcast that covered a lot of ground in places that don't involve any Week 18 matchups. And I'm glad for that because I couldn't do five straight days of Week 18 matchups in the NFL. Glad to be here, Uh, Kyle. It's a pleasure as always. And we'll see you next time. Absolutely. Have a wonderful week and uh, good luck to your Packers. And the same to you, sir. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.